This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the besotted Pride of West London podcast, and we're coming to you the day after the vegan has had uh, come down to Griffin Park, or New Griffin Park as we call it. Uh, we had Forest Green Rovers come down for their first ever visit to TW8, and it was a good game as well. It was. It's definitely had us with our hearts in our mouths as well. So we're going to be talking about that later. We're going to be talking about a trip to South West or South East London even, a few days ago that we've had. So there's all sorts of action going on. My name's Billy Grant and I'm sitting here, not in the pub, because I've had too much pub action the last few days and I can't handle it too much. After being locked away for a year and a half, going to the pub twice in four days is obviously too much for me. So I'm sitting here in the VJ, the virtual joint, with a couple of chums in the house. I've got Laney in the house. How are you doing, Laney? Yes, good evening, Mr Grant. Yes, all good here. Um, yeah, I enjoyed last night in the end, so lots to talk about there. i uh, had a crazy day today. I'm on deadline for about five or six books. I've even forgotten how many I'm doing. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just a, just a, just a sort of absolutely blur at the moment. So it's quite nice to sit down with a drink in the VJ and talk about the best team in the world. Indeed, and uh, yeah, it's a crazy, crazy day for a crazy, crazy guy. He's such a crazy guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, crazy man. That's right, that's right. You know, So talking about Blur, I'm going to talk about Blur as well, just quickly, because I'm going to talk about this, listen to this podcast as well called, like I said, Life Goals, which I'll talk about in a minute, but I was listening to the um, the Noel Gallagher one, which you listened to as well, which is quite funny, and uh, talking about Blur, he was talking about when he went to the Champions League final. <laughs> And he bumped into what's it, um, Damon from Damon. Blur. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't happy with him at all. Actually, I t- I'll tell you, if you want to go out, just check out that podcast. It is very funny. But he probably slagged him off as being not a true football fan, didn't he? Like a proper day trip, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he, he doesn't care, does he? Now Gallagher, He'll, he, he he just says it as he as he sees it. And uh, yeah, you got you got to love him for, for for most of that. He's he, he gets he gets football. He seems to, you know, he's. City through and through, and he's, he he gets football as as we do. So we find him funny because he kind of like you know he ignites some of the same passions. But uh, yeah, having uh, having two hundred million in the bank, it does help. 
Yeah, it does indeed. So listen, we've got a, a new chum in the house as well. We've got Simon Radford. We haven't got a nickname for him as well, which is bad, but hopefully we'll have one by the next time he comes on the podcast. Simon, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Long time listener, first time caller. Happy to be with you both today. I've actually got a Noel Gallagher football anecdote to throw in. So I went with my dad once to Adams Park on a wet Tuesday night to see Manchester City lose to Wickham in League One and bumped into the Gallagher brothers. Absolutely hammered coming out of the uh, the stadium, not too pleased with what they've just seen. So they are proper fans. <laughs> wet Tuesday night at Adams Park. That's right. That's right. Yeah, no, definitely. He was there in the. He was there in the not so glory days, as they say. And for me, like I said, you know, oh, bit, bit, bit of vegan action. Forest Green yesterday as well. You know, I'm actually very pleased. And I talked about this before to have actually been. I'm on a, on a podcast called, like I said, Life Goals, which is one of those weird things where podcasts that you actually listen to and then they invite you on. And uh, like I said, there's all sorts of characters being on it. The Gallagher, Norman Jay, if you know Norman Jay as well, and Mo Gilligan, and you know all sorts of MPs and people on it. It's uh, it's quite good. But um, I was just thinking about it because I was I sort of was chatting away for three and a half hours and uh, to the guy um, Theo Delaney, who's a top top bloke, and uh, I couldn't remember half the things I spoke to him about, and it completely <laughs> reminded me about the, uh, the 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 Beckham party that I talked about. I, I went to David Beckham's party the day after we lost to Stoke City and I told that story on the podcast about how I went to this Beckham party the day after which I wasn't very happy about and I ended up bunking into the Hello Magazine photo shoot which uh, Victoria Beckham didn't know about until it actually came out in Hello Magazine and uh, I came out as, uh, as another guest I think as it, as it is and you've got to uh, you've got to check out the story actually on the podcast but Life Goals it's called by Theo Delaney but it was quite funny um, and there's lots and lots of stories lots of Brentford lots of England and lots of other stuff on there as well but anyway just coming back to talk, I mean talking about football in that one talking about football now because we've had quite a lot of football being happening in the last few days we've had um, like I said to you two games one at Crystal Palace on Saturday and also one against Forest Green Rovers yesterday but there almost wasn't some football for some people because there was a there was a lot of queuing going on outside both games wasn't there because there's there's a few technical problems it's almost like this was technical hitch day for or, or technical hitch four days like you know because it's Saturday Sunday Monday Tuesday all sorts of technical hitches going on it wasn't particularly great was it Laney? No, it wasn't. Um, it was a bit deja vu. I mean, I'm, I remember walking up to Selhurst Park on Saturday and the queues for the Crystal Palace fans particularly, um, who were kind of queuing to get uh, you know the season tickets transferred into a, uh, a paper ticket that would get them into the game because they weren't ready. They, they, they were snaking back kind of like 300 yards, you know. Um, God knows what that is in metres. And then, um, you know, you get into the Brentford turnstiles, which weren't as bad, but, you know, it was, it was still fairly busy outside. Um, and then, you know, luckily the, the kickoff, the kickoff you know, went, went ahead as, as planned at three o'clock, but I, I'm not sure all the Palace fans got in. Um, but I know the Brentford fans didn't get in on, 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 you know, on Tuesday night because, you know, we walked up to the ground and it was pretty much back to the Great West Road, you know, back over the little railway bridge um, and up to the traffic lights. And then along the road, it was, it was like four or five hundred long, the queue. Um, and there was a statement that went out by the club today, which kind of they apologised, but there was a kind of a loaded sentence there that kind of said that the technical issues were because the, the software could cope basically with the amount of uh, late walk-up um, uh, supporters. So it was kind of like the system couldn't cope because 
fans turned up too late well I, I don't think that's right you know we, we, we walked there we were like 20 minutes before kickoff um, you know that's, that's, that should be early enough for a computer system in a brand new stadium to to uh, to, to cope with you know the, that that size of crowd um, and it, it just caused a lot of grief it actually impacted the enjoyment uh, of all the fans obviously that were stressed out that they wouldn't get in in, in, in time um, a lot of them missed the forest green goal which they you know that's part of the game and um, it, it just screwed it up for everyone else because we were just standing up sitting down standing up sitting down because people were coming in and needed to get past us to get to our tickets um, get to their seats sorry um, you know we, we, we were late people were way later than us and I, I kept looking at the, the at the clock and it was like 25 30 minutes before before um everyone was probably there and then there was another strange kind of then a lot of people seemed to want to go to the bar with 10 minutes to go to to half time so people were coming in and then people were buggering off to the bar and it was just like this constant up and down and it was it was actually ruining uh, my enjoyment of the first half um uh, and the players kind of <laughs> added to that by not playing very well so yeah uh, to go back to the original point it has been uh, two matches where the turnstiles and, uh, and the ticketing situation has been a bit of a fuck up has to be said I mean I, I have to say and again I'm, you know I look to look at things not say holistically but look at things a little bit broader and I say that listen you know when you get new um, situations happening you're always going to get teething problems and I think that you've got to be You've got, to, you've got to be patient with these teething problems. The, the problems that happened at Crystal Palace, you know, obviously the, the Crystal Palace were very, oh, I don't know what happened there, but they were very late in sending out the tickets to Brentford fans. So in the end, the, half the tickets didn't get sent out. So lots of Bees fans had to go down to Palace to pick up their tickets, which is, as you know, that can be very annoying because you don't know how large your queue is going to be. If you're in the pub with your mates or doing what you're doing before the game, the last thing you want to be doing is fretting about picking up a ticket. In the end, it actually wasn't that bad at Brentford because the queues there weren't too bad and the Brentford ticketing staff made it very easy for the Brentford staff, which is all good. I think the, the, the Forest Green Rovers thing was a, was, a, was, a, was a different scenario altogether. Listen, again, I understand teething problems. There will always be teething problems. And as long as like you know they've got it in place by the time we play Man City and Man United later in the season, when you get these big games which really matter as well, you know, I'm not saying Forest Dream don't matter, but I'm just saying you know these bigger games, then you know, I, I'd, I'd, I'd put my hand up and say, that's cool, I, I'll accept that. I think the one, there's a few things that were a bit peculiar, though. Is The first thing was the shutting of the, uh, of the East Stand. So they shut the East Stand, which, again, I don't know the reason why before that. I don't know. There's, there might have been a perfectly great reason for that. But apparently they didn't shut the East Stand for the West Ham game, which had about a third of the crowd or a half of the crowd. So I'm not quite sure why they shut the East Stand. The problem with that then is that obviously put all the people who are meant to be in the East Stand into the West Stand. So there's going to be obviously more queues in the West Stand. So that means there's going to be more people going through one particular turnstile. So that's obviously caused a problem there in itself. Uh, obviously, there was a probably a bigger crowd than Brentford expected at this game. So all of a sudden, it's like they're thinking, you know, Forest Green Rovers normally, you know, a team like that, we'd normally, you know, attract 4,000 or 5,000 in the old championship. But obviously, there was a lot of people who couldn't get tickets normally to come to Brentford. But this is an opportunity for them to come to games, just like when Arsenal are playing League Cup matches. All of a sudden, they open it up for people who can't normally get tickets for League games. So all of a sudden, you had a lot of people who don't normally come to Brentford coming to the game, which, again, I've not, I've not got no problem with that. I, don't, I want as many people to come and see us team as possible. That's that's cool. But then what you've got is that you've got... Then the turnstiles break down, so there's the queue snaking around the corner, then you've got the people coming in, then, then you've got people sitting in the West Stand all over the place and seats, so it was kind of all wrong and a bit foreign. But the, straight, the, the strangest thing for us 
in the West End is knowing the ethos of the West End as being basically the Ealing Road Terrace, the standing area. And there was no standing going on whatsoever in the West End at all. And it got to the stage where you weren't forcing it because no one was standing. And if you stood, you were kind of causing a bit of a, an issue. And you thought, it's forest green, so let's sit down. But it killed the atmosphere. So you got the team who was playing badly, who needed the support like they would have done at Arsenal to pick the atmosphere up. So what you've done is you've got the snaking and the problems and the sitting down has kind of almost kind of could have helped to knock Brentford out of the League Cup. So these are things that really need to be addressed. And for me, I'm thinking, listen, as long as you learn from it and you move forward, the main thing for me is the communication issue. Because like I said to you, I haven't got a problem with people coming and being in the other area if, that, if that's what the club decides what needs to be done. And if, say, for example, season ticket holders decide they're not going to turn up for this game, of course, we've got to fill the seats. But the people that come into that seat's got to know what the score is. They've got to know that this area isn't a sitting down and having a picnic area. This is a getting up and shouting area. If they don't want to be there, they can choose any other seat in the whole stadium. So that needs to communi- be communicated very, very clearly because that was the main thing for me that kind of sports it for me. I mean, I know, Simon, you were in a different part of the ground, weren't you? Yeah, I was in the South Stand, but I had a, a mate who is is not a regular football goer who decided, probably because I've been moaning at him for ages, to, to come down Brentford and, and go see a game. Took him 20 minutes to come in and probably like a lot of people he was in the west end and obviously doesn't know many brentford chants so you're also that's going to also deprive the atmosphere too because a lot of them aren't brentford fans who can't get tickets they're people who are wanting to see a football game and might not know a brentford chant if their life depended on it so as you said it did did kill the atmosphere um in the south stand it's the old kind of bramer road so most of us are probably picnicking more than uh more than we're standing up and shouting so it didn't make as much of a difference to our enjoyment but yeah it was it was definitely quite evident that there wasn't the same buzz around the place until about the hour mark or so probably when when a chant went around saying stand up if you love Brentford and people started sort of standing up and actually getting getting involved and that also lifted the team I think in the second half so there was there's that weird thing in football isn't there that the players feed off the crowd and the crowd feed off those players and there's that kind of feedback between the two and as you said I think it definitely probably meant for a bit of a sluggish start at the beginning of the game. Laney I mean you, you that was the one point where you thought actually hold on a second this has turned it around a bit the stand up if you love Brentford, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I think that was the absolute catalyst. Um, you know, the, the substitutions at halftime, obviously, that, that helps too. But at, at the stage where the stand-up If You Love Brentford song went up and then pretty much the whole stadium did, uh, it was still 1-0 to Forest Green Rovers. So uh, it, I, I thought the, the players vibed off of that um, and I thought it really did physically lift the whole stadium. You know, whether whether the players will say it had a, you know, there was a direct correlation between that and them finding the extra, you know, well, 20% that was needed um, to, to, to put in a, you know, a, a winning performance. I, I'm not quite so sure, but it, it, it seemed to be a turning point. And from there on in, it was seemed to be only one winner. Um, you know, I, I agree with you, Bill, going back to what you were saying about, you know, teething problems and we're all learning and there's things that, uh, you know, we're not ideally in the long term or the medium term happy about um, tolerating. Um, and, you know, I, I, I know that, you know, we, we're going to kind of catalogue some of them. And there's people on the on the beside Twitter today that have kind of said a couple of things that, you know, they're not quite happy about. I think overall, everyone's delighted with the new stadium. And I think there's there, but there are kind of <clears throat> important uh, teething problems that need to be overcome. You know, there was there was stewards standing in my eyesight where, I, you know, I couldn't see 
um, the, you know, the, we have got a restricted viewing issue, and then they that was exacerbated by stewards kind of blocking uh, anything to the left of the goal, and I, and we are you know we had to ask them a couple of times to move because um, they were watching the game, and I, I just think we need to make sure that there are, there is no there is as few frustrations as is possible, um, and hopefully we'll get there soon. Hopefully we all do. So listen, I mean, we talked about that enough. We know if they want to come back to that, I'm sure bias may be addressing the issues. I'm sure the club's addressing the issues because they obviously want to get these things right. But again, you know, as a podcast, we need to we need to vent these things. We need to let people know what's going on. You know, some people might not be in at the game and or some people might have been at the game and they, they, they want to know exactly what the resolution is going to be. So I think keep your eyes out. Besotted, keep your eyes out on bias, keep your eyes out on the club, and uh, we will see what's going to happen in the future. But anyway, we've got a few games to talk about. So we're going to go away, have a little break. And afterwards, we're going to come back and talk about Crystal Palace and Forest Green Rovers. So, as we said, two games, Crystal Palace and Forest Green Rovers. And, uh, I mean, we've got opinion on the game. But I think, first of all, let's hear what the fans had to say from both of those two games about, well, Brentford at Palace and also Forest Green coming down to New Griffin Park. I think we got forward more than Palace. They felt like they had a few more clear-cut chances than us, but I thought we pressed them really well, got forward a lot of times. It wasn't quite that final touch. I felt like Palace pressed us really well, but I thought we played brilliantly today. Brilliant first away game in the Premiership. Yeah, that was a battling second-half performance, wasn't it, really? First half, I think we were stronger and we had a lot more to offer, but, yeah, second half, we, uh, we were hanging in there towards the end, weren't we, I think? We, we'd, we'd run at, last 10, 15 minutes, we'd run out a little bit of steam, but we hung in there. And ultimately, we took the point away. One point away at Palace. Um, we played well. I think we matched them in every opportunity. So that's what I'm going to take out of the game today. It's nice to get out. You see people you've seen in the pub. You see people everywhere. Have a few beers and just enjoy yourself, no matter the result. Do you know what I mean? Look at it. We've got four points. We're two games in. Haven't conceded a goal. We're unbeaten. It's fantastic. And we looked really good. And we've got midfielders coming back. It's not a problem. Premier League's easy. I think we were rock solid in midfield. I thought Pinnock and Rico especially at the back. Asia bringing it forward. Pontus was Pontus. Look, they had a home crowd. It was their first home game. It was noisy. It was raucous. And they were physical. They were really, really stern. Oprah Keith Stroud. Because I tell you what, it wouldn't have finished 11 v 11. Wanted wanted the win, obviously. Like, you guys have just come up. Like, Palace new manager in, new team. Would have been nice to start off with a bang. Um, You know, Chelsea we didn't do so well against. We got absolutely trounced, I'd say. Like, played pretty poorly. But um, points a point, like we'll take it. I, I don't think, I think, I think, I don't think it's a big surprise that we are competitive. I think we expected that. So, um, but but I mean, with a bit, a bit more luck and a bit more sharpness, we I think we would have won the game today as well. But uh, yeah, it was a tight game. I mean, it was it was. It, I think the first two games are, it gives a good indication that uh, you know we are here to 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 make a mark. So. Let's see how we how we get on the next few games. Okay, listen, Rasmus, thank you very much. There's no, no I keep on I keep on hijacking you every yeah. time. I'm not going to hijack you again <laughs> next time, but I appreciate it. You know what I'm saying as well, which is all good. Yeah, no, no, no. and Matthew, I just one word from you today. You're very happy, aren't you, Matthew you want, Benham? Do you, want a, you want a quick word with me? I want to have a quick word with you. Um, velocity. Okay. Philo- uh, philosophy. That's no, right. No, velocity. Oh, velocity. Yeah, it's a quick word. Okay, that's it. So basically, it's all about speed. It's about velocity. It's about out outgunning the opposition. I enjoyed the second half very much. First half, uh, the players didn't know what they were doing. 
the fans didn't know they were doing. We didn't know whether to stand, sit down. People were queuing up outside for most of it. Coming, some people came in pretty much just as half time was uh, drawing, drawing up. So it was a bit ridiculous the whole thing. But uh, second half we made a couple of really astute substitutions. The whole game changed. Uh, Onyeka came on. Uh, the midfield just started ticking over really nicely then, and uh, the whole thing just improved. Uh, got the, the fans uh, got a bit uh, onside as well. You know, we started singing more and it all kind of all fed back into the team. So, yeah, second half, the substitutions, uh, Sergi, Bremo, look really good. Just really worried about what happened in the last minute with uh, Bennett going off injured. I hope it's nothing, but uh, that's a bit of a worry. Credit where it's due, first half, I thought Forest Green were fantastic. Came with a plan and played really well. Um, but as soon as we built on the big guns, it was easy, easy doings really. Uh, as soon as that second went in, they didn't really pose any threat, but a good performance in the second half. I think Forest Green were really fair play to them. They came here and they were really in our faces. And I think there were a lot of players there who wanted more time on the ball first half than they were going to give us. And I think it needed a little bit of experience, experienced players to come in and, and take the space and find the space to move the ball a bit quicker. And that made a difference. I think the abilities there, I just think they just looked like 11 players who weren't used to playing together. Too many negatives in the first half to take too much out of the game. But that said, second half, confidence now built going into all Saturday. And it's all about Saturday now. So there you have it, fans on the terraces, in the stadium. It's actually really good to actually be able to get the microphone out and stick it under people's noses again as you hear it straight after the match. And sometimes, like I said to you, people might change their views about 24 hours later, but it doesn't matter. It's quite good to hear exactly what they're saying straight after the game. And that's their, that's their view. But I'll tell you what, because if you haven't heard, we've got, a, a, like I said, we've got a podcast that we do. We do a podcast on Monday, Monday morning as well. And on that Monday morning, we just get a snapshot of what the vibe is, what the feeling is from the game at the weekend, the weekend review. And we look at a number of different things, you know, um, very quickly, you know, and we just give a little brief summary of, of our thoughts. And one of the things that we look at, we have a sort of an overall perspective of the game. And uh, myself and Lainey talked about it. So if you check that out on prideofwest.london, you'll hear that as well. But tell you something, we've got someone new in the house here. We've got Simon, Simon Radford as well. It's good to hear what your overall perspective is of both the two games sort of mashed up together, what are your thoughts, you know, Simon? Sure. So I, I think the Palace game, the thing that the word which you'd probably use to describe our performance was was intensity, right? I mean, I think the, the midfielders in particular were absolutely knackered coming off the pitch. I mean, no one gave anything less than 100% effort, I think, in, in that game. Maybe lacked a little bit of creativity, but um, in general, well worth the point and worked really hard for it. The Forest Green Rovers match, you know, it didn't look like we were, we had the same sort of intensity. We didn't really have the same sort of fact that everyone knew what their job was and knew what they had to go out and do. Um, and I think that was meant we had two really, really different performances. Clearly, totally different set of players because we were giving some other people minutes. Um, I said in the article I wrote for, for sort of wrapping up the, the game for the Forest Green Rovers game, there's kind of three things you're looking at for the Forest Green Rovers game. There's uh, working out, giving some minutes to, um, to squad players who might need some minutes and needs to get up to speed in terms of their fitness. Another one might be looking to see whether there might be people pressing a claim for a place in the first team. And the third is just getting through to the next round of the cup. And the good news is we got through to the next round of the cup. I think most of the Palace uh, players who started the Palace game probably don't have to be too worried about being replaced for the Villa game based on the performances we saw for Forest Green Rovers. Although there were some good minutes for Wissa and others, 
But equally, I think it's going to raise some questions about with the window coming to an end, whether we might need to add a bit of depth because the gap between our first team and basically what was our second team seems quite large at the moment. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, a few weeks ago, or actually this is pre-season, we we played, you know, a few pre-season friendlies and we, we mixed the teams up quite well and we were quite happy and comfortable with the players who'd come off the bench, in effect, or the players who were substituting had come in for the players who were seen as first-team players. And, you know, players like, you know, Roslev, who, you know, to me, I'm, I'm not quite sure if he's first-team, if he's a if he's a, a reserve player. You know, at the moment now, he seems to be more of a reserve player than he is first-team, whereas back in the last season, he was very much more of a first-team player. So you've got people like Roslev, who had a, he had a terrible game against uh, Forest Green Rovers, you know. Um, we've got people like Mads Bidstrup, who I've, every time he's come on, I thought, yeah, man, he looks bad. Like you know, and again, he had he, he had a terrible game as well. And obviously, Madsbeck Sorensen got injured, so you know those three came off. And and to be fair to, to Thomas Frank, he didn't waste no time. At half time, he literally whipped them off. Right? I mean, I've, I've never seen him whip off players so quickly. Like you know, to to to, to bring on <laughs> to bring on the big guns. Like you know, he's thinking I need to rescue this one. You know, and it, it's interesting because for me, I'm thinking sometimes with these cup games, we get really frustrated when they play a second-string team, you know, sometimes when they play the second-string players. But I thought of that game, I thought, sometimes we come to these cup games to try and learn things. And I think the one thing that we did learn, and maybe the one thing that the director's football and other people learned, they thought, hold on a second here, we need to make a few more phone calls tomorrow in the transfer market, because maybe we thought, oh, we might be okay here, and the right-back situation might be okay. And the win-. But all of a sudden, no, actually, no, we need to make sure, sure that we need to step it up a bit. So, in a way, that may have been a good thing for us, that it may have accelerated things that are going to happen in the next few days, which may not have happened, like they didn't happen maybe one or two seasons ago, when last season, was it, when things didn't happen, and then the window shut, and then all of a sudden Rico Henry got injured, and we're like, ah, oh, now we're in all sorts of trouble. So maybe that might have been a positive thing, isn't it, Laney? Yeah, um, I, I, I think it was a combination of a weakened team and a, uh, a system that they weren't comfortable in playing. Um, I think we were very lopsided. Um, I, I couldn't work out. Well, at one stage, there was absolutely no Brentford player on the left-hand side of the pitch at all. Every, everyone was on the right-hand side, and you know, I, was, I thought I said to her, and I said, I thought, I thought, I thought, Wiesa was a kind of a left-sided player, and I thought, you know, I, and I, it, I honestly, I, 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 it was hard to fathom how we were set up, and you know, uh, fair play to Forest Green Rovers, they, they, they really did sort of, uh, you know, grasp the nettle and took the game to us, and they, they could have gone, a, you know, we could, we could have gone one up first, of course, there was a couple of saves by their goalkeeper, and it was quite a. It's quite a poor finish by Devasoglu that we should have we should have gone a goal up, but um, they after they went a goal up, they probably should have gone two up. It was a really good move um, down the left hand side of you know attacking the uh, um, the west stand, and there was a it was a header that the, the guy will probably be kicking himself that he should have done better with. He headed it wide when the goal was at his mercy, really. So he was set up well. Um, the, the I, you know I, I hear what you say about the using the transfer window. I, I do think we are one, possibly two players short. Uh, there's money there. I, I, I it's it's really it's really hard. You know, I, I just don't think we can rely on um, you know uh, uh, 
potential as much i think we need we need more absolute you know the, the finished article or near as the finished article as we're going to get um because we're going to be ruthlessly punished and we were last night so uh, i think forest green showed you can't you can't switch off or weaken yourselves too much in in any match without being punished and i'm just glad that we we you know we we were 100 percent focused for the 90 plus minutes at selhurst park because you know premier premier leagues you know the be all and end all for us and survival so um I'm not, i wasn't overly worried and i'm glad we got back in it um but yeah i, I think the dofs will be kind of scratching their heads thinking shall we dip in a little bit more than we might have done I, I, one thing i was going to say though is um I, this was very much a game of two halves and in the second half, when we came out, we changed it. Obviously, um, Asia came on instead of Mads Bexorensen in the first half because uh, he he got injured. So that was uh, that was one that we weren't expecting, and and he came on and and, and he looked very good. But then you know we had Sergi Canos, and we keep talking about Sergi, a player that we weren't even sure is going to sort of make the grade in the in the Premier League. So we had Sergi come on. We had um, 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 who else did we have? And then we had Frank the Tank, Frank the Tank on Yeka. I've got to say it every time, don't I? As well, who came on and. And he added some energy and some zip and some steel to the midfield. And uh, and then we got um, Brian and Boomer, which we weren't expecting that as well. We got an extra substitution because there was a they had a concussion substitution, um, Forest Green did. So that allowed us to have an extra sub. So they brought Brian on. And what it made me realise, I know that's not our full team, but the difference between that team and the team in the first half was was just huge. And it also made me realise actually what what a really good team they are because when they were just when they were motoring, you could obviously see the Forest fans in the first half they were singing you know um, Premier League you're having a laugh and all these things the things that we used to sing when we were in their position which is fine you know and of course you've got to accept it if you're not playing very well of course they're going to sing that but in the second half I think they must have thinking oh my god this is a different they're, they're tearing us to pieces here and it just made me think what a really good team we are when we're on ball when we're on the ball. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's my thoughts. I mean, Simon, same, same thing for you? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, one of the things the director of football's said before uh, they, when, in terms of who they were looking to add before this season, is they were like, the Premier League's just on a different level in terms of athleticism, in terms of power and pace. And I think what we saw when we brought on Iyer, and definitely, I mean, Frank the Tank is, um, you know, crazily athletic. Um, but, and also, you know, with Brian as well, I mean, all of those people have pace, they have power, and they just look cut above both the Forest Green Rovers players in terms of the, on those qualities, but also some of the players who are perhaps some of our depth options. And so the idea, I guess, would be that if we were going to add someone, it would be someone with that similar level of athleticism who could add to our midfield, maybe, or, or right wing back to, to spell Sergi, because it looks like sort of in terms of some of those qualities which you need to succeed in the Premier League, perhaps some of the depth options might not be able to really make that leap in terms of athleticism, but to going from the championship to the Premier League. Um, and I think we were right to say that there's lots of, we've got lots of depth and we have got lots of players. And there's a question about whether we need to trim some of the squad before we can add to it too. I mean, we've got lots of people who weren't even playing. I mean, Haygarth wasn't playing and, um, you know, other people weren't playing. Um, Pert Harris, I guess, played in the B team game instead. And so didn't get any minutes. And so I don't know with Jean Vier and Ratchet and all the rest of it too, whether there might be a case of we need to probably get people out. You know, Valencia going on loan was something Thomas said, I think, to the media afterwards, whether we can sort of get some people going so that there's some space to actually add people as well, which is another thing which we have to be cognizant of because with COVID, there's not a lot of buying clubs out there, maybe for some of the squad players we might like to move along. Listen, you know, 
the two, the, the, the Palace game, I'm just wondering, because we've talked about the Forest Green game, and I think the, the, the question marks it's thrown up is about the strength in depth, which beforehand we thought was there, but all of a sudden we're thinking, actually, maybe there's a few extra players that we need in there, and, and the players that we thought would actually be able to cut the cut it, you know, they can't. You know, when you've got, a, when you've got a, you know, a, a, a fourth-tier team pressing you to death, and causing you to make mistakes and you just don't know what you're doing, your system's all over the place, it makes you you worried. I'm just wondering, just going back to the uh, Palace games, Simon, were there any was there anything that concerned you at all? I think the the thing which I heard a lot and I and I kind of generally agree with is maybe that gap between midfield and attack. That Ivan, who used to be playing facing the opponent's goal and running onto balls, is playing with his back to goal quite a lot and having to lay it off. Um, an eight to an attacking eight uh, who can sort of help with Brian in terms of being creative and taking some of the load off off Ivan would I think be something which will give us a bit more of a goal threat. If you look at XG, it looked like we did better than than they did and we edged it. So there's nothing too too wrong, but clearly there's there's room which we might add there. I think and Wizard came on and was, looked a little un, unfit um, and obviously needs to get up to speed. Wasn't pressing quite as much as he needed to. That seemed to improve. In the Forest Green Rovers game, but having someone who can can spell Brian and Ivan up top when they're taking a lot of punishment would obviously be quite useful too. Yeah, definitely. So listen, what we're going to do, well, we had a little chat about the game, a bit of an overall view, but what we're going to do is we're going to go to Will, the spreadsheet winker. He's going to give us a bit more of a statistical overview on that Palace game. Here's Will, the spreadsheet winker. Spreadsheet winker. First of all, let's have a look at the Palace game. What are the three main takeaways from that? Firstly, we just managed to outperform them on XG. The difference came from not being able to create big chances from set pieces like against Arsenal, meaning that we created quite a lot less, and 0.89 XG. We still managed three more than 10% chances inside their box, but most of our XG did come from a large-ish volume of small, speculative chances from outside the box. Second, we kept it very tight at the back. We only gave up one big chance, Gallagher's 7th-minute shot at 30%. Zaha had no shots at all. We totally nullified his attacking danger. And we didn't struggle at all from set pieces either. Three, we outpressed Palace. We pressed them even higher than we did Arsenal. We did also have more of the ball than against Arsenal, but Palace were better defensively, so we were able to create less. Particularly from set pieces, that was the case. So there you have it, Will, the spreadsheet winker. And he's given us the the lowdown on Palace. And as he said, we were just ahead of them on XG. You know, uh, kept it very tight at the back. And like I said to you, they only had one big chance, like I said to you, which is that Gallagher chance, which is about 30%. That was the only chance we gave them. You know, they, they, they struggled to get big chance in the box. And from set pieces like we did against Arsenal, that's what we did. We struggled to get big chances in the box and, you know, we outpressed them again. So, you know, the big bonuses is that, you know, we're able to play this pressing game. We're out, out pressing the op- opponents. I mean, we have to be really fit for that as well. To be doing that for 90 minutes, you've got to be proper fit as well. So I think that's the that's the big bonus for the for the, for the Palace game. I mean, guys, I'm just I'm just going to... I'm asking you here, just, just listen to that. I mean, we... Still, chance creation seems to be, and we keep talking about this. That's a little bit of a. Do you think it's a little bit of a worry, or are you comfortable with that, Laney? Yeah, I'm comfortable with it at the moment. You know, you going harking back to the Forest Green Rovers song, Premier League 
you're having a laugh. I am having a laugh at the moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying every minute of it. And um, I'm, I'm no, I'm not overly worried. You know, we've, we've had two really, really testing games, and we've come out with four points. And you know, we've said a lot. We're certainly not going to take any of that for granted. And we know that we'll play well in games and lose, and we'll play awfully in games and, and win. Um, and then we'll have games where we're going to be really taken apart. Um, there'll be games where we just think, you know, we look incredibly good. It's going to be that kind of season. Um, normally, I'd, I'd say, you know, going previous, just going back to the previous point very briefly, normally I'll be like, if, it, if this was in the Championship or League One, I'll be going, this, this squad is, is more than good enough. Let, let, let it go. Um, let it go till the next transfer window. We're, 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 we've got more than enough players there that can come in. This year, um, it's, I don't think you can, you can be, you know, the, the games have shown us you can't take your foot off the gas. DLFs can't, can't take their foot off the gas either. If they don't think a player is quite strong enough for the Prem, even if it's a hunch and they can, they can get him off the payroll and get someone in who they know is, um, we, we might have to be a little bit more ruthless. Um, and that might cost us and we might, be changing, we might be changing the way we do our business a little bit. Um, but you know, it, it getting that second 180 million or 150 or 200 or whatever, or however many ridiculous millions of pounds that a second season buys us, it's it's you know now we're here, they'll want to stay here, and that that's going to cost them. So uh, yeah, I, I don't think we should be cutting corners. I'm not to suggest that we will, but you know, I, I think that the Palace game um, in particular showed that we are a little bit short in that creativity um but there's still players learning the te- you know the, we talked about the ticketing system and the teething problems and there's a few of those players that are kind of bedding themselves in you know with Frank and Yecker as well he's, he's got a great start he can only get better um and he is in inverted commas that missing link he he, he is that player that links defense with attack um we just have to make sure he stops getting fouled and hurt and he plays more minutes uh you know with the ball at his feet and less less time with the the physio trying to trying to ease the pain so look i mean we've only got a few days left for the end of the transfer window so basically we're counting down to the end of the transfer window and the calculators are out and we're looking we're thinking oh there's one more place in the Brentford squad for a player. What's that going to be? And the natural look for, you know, we look at that, we think, oh, what's missing? Oh, it, it looks like it's a right back. But then all of a sudden, you know, we're looking around and we're hearing what's going on. And as you, if you listen to the Besotted podcast a lot, we haven't, we haven't gone, we haven't banged on about transfers too much because we did our business very early. We knew what's going on. We've, if, you, if you check out Pride of West London, we've spoken to, you know, the, the fans of the opposite clubs telling us exactly what these players are who we bought in. So we've, we've kind of known this information very, very early on. So I think what's, what's quite interesting is that, you know, we've known this information early on. So we've kind of almost like settled with this squad, but we figured this right back, Hasn't turned back as yet. And are we happy with what we've got? You know, with maybe Canos and maybe Fosu, maybe, you know, Ruslev being the right back for the Bees. But there's something to us saying, I'm not quite sure about that. But then there's this rumour that's been coming and going. It's been coming and going since the very start of the, of the, of the close season. And this guy, Brennan Johnson, he's a very good, you know, attacking midfielder from Nottingham Forest. 
You know, Nottingham Forest, you know, is one of their prized assets. He actually played for Lincoln last season. You know, I've seen him play for Lincoln and he's very good. He actually played in the playoff final as well for Lincoln. You know, they lost the playoff final, so he didn't go up with them. But, you know, he's come back to Forest and, you know, he's uh, he's with them. I mean, Forest are all over the place at the moment now. You know, Chris Hewton, you know, bless him. He's uh, the original 1992, class of 92 for Brentford, you know, got promoted with us. And he's a great guy and a great person. But I don't think he's going to last very much longer at Nottingham Forest because uh, he's struggling. You know, he's struggling down there and I don't know if he's struggling with their system with the, the clubs just keep sacking managers here left right centre just can't do it right so I don't know if it's necessarily the manager it's a setup. so I'm sure Brennan Johnson is actually putting a parachute on the, on the back of his back and he's getting ready to jump out the plane at this moment you say. so I wouldn't be very surprised if Brennan Johnson doesn't turn up at Griffin Park or New Griffin Park within the next few days but me saying that uh, because obviously it's a juggling act if he comes in that means there's no right back to come in because he's going to fill that last spot unless somebody goes out. Now, the rumour that's come in as well is that Fosu might be out the door, you know. Also, could be Dervisoglu because I know that the um, I know the Turkish were after him as well. I think I think maybe Keith Millen was down having a little peep at Dervisoglu as well yesterday. There's all sorts of rumours flying around as to who's after our players. So the question is, is Dervisoglu going to go out? Is, 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 is Fosu going to go out? You know, are they not going to go out at all? We're going to not bother with the, the, the right back... I'm just, I mean, I know it's, it's right be out there, but I think it's Simon. What are your thoughts on this? What do we need? And what would, if you were Thomas Frank, what would you do now? I mean, it's not a very nice thing to do because it's uh, two out of one, actually. You know, it's two or three. Or, you know, what would you get rid of? What would you keep? What would you do? What are you saying? Well, well it seems like Fosu is, it, it seems like he's being frozen out for one reason or another. I mean, he hasn't featured at all. He hasn't been on the bench. There was also some, some reports that maybe he got in trouble in with the Ghana camp when he went gone on international. Um, so it, it might well be that that he's sort of wants game time which he can't get, and so they're they're looking to find him a new new home. That might open up, as you said, a possibility to have someone who could challenge Sergi for that right wing back spot because Fosu would you would think might be the backup there if for whatever reason Sergi can't play. So and I know we've said on the pod before that. Was Alexander Barr, who's a, a Danish player, has been linked as well. So there seems to be some smoke signals around the fact that the club might want to reinforce that position. And it kind of kind of makes sense because I don't think we've got an obvious backup in the way that Thompson might be a backup for Rico or Sergi could slide over to the left if Rico gets hurt. Clearly, in terms of what we were saying with the Palace game, we've got three really athletic central midfielders in Onyeka, um, Norgard, um, and 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 you know, sort of uh, I mean, you what we probably need is a more creative midfielder. I'm not sure whether Johnson plays as sort of uh, an attacking midfielder or whether he's more of a wide man. But obviously, in, in the kind of system we're playing, three-five-two, you probably want someone who can play that more central role, get up and support Mbemo and um, uh, and and Ivan. So that would be where I would be looking to um, to to sort of maybe add something. If we go a goal down, you want to chase the game you probably need to swap out one of those all-action midfielders for someone with a bit more creativity. And it doesn't look like Godos is, is cutting the mustard. Obviously, we've got Jensen coming back, who will be intriguing to maybe fill that spot too. So those would be the two areas I would probably look at. Um, but I'm sure, you know, there's there's lots of places where, in an ideal world, if you're playing football manager, 
we'd be adding people behind Ivan and all sorts. I mean, the, the fact is that you know we we've lost Henrik Dalsgaard uh, at, at right back, and that's that's a big loss out of of, of, of a team. You know, he, he was a great player, um, and he he had a you know a great international career while he was at Brentford as well. I thought he was unlucky not to to make the Euro squad. I think he was unlucky. Um, that he, you know, his contract ended when it did because he would have been a Brentford player, I'm sure. Um, but it's it's it, it is a, it's weakened us on, on that flank, and we we haven't replaced him. You know, we we, we put Canos there, and then Sergi Canos is 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 a you know it's a huge crowd favourite. He's a, he will become a Brentford legend if he isn't one already. Uh, his versatility is that he can plug that gap there, more than plug that gap there. And he can play on the left wing and the right wing in advanced roles, and he will give his all in, in any position he plays if he's up, if he's fit. Uh, we we need a right back more than we need Brennan Johnson, in my opinion. But that doesn't mean mean we don't need both. If there are players that we can find homes for, uh, I think Tariq Fosu has done little wrong. I think he's scored some really important goals and well, some, some critical goals. And I thought he had a fairly strong pre-season too. But if we think we can better him and he can get more game time elsewhere than staying at, at, at Brentford, then we, we owe it to him and we owe it to ourselves to do that. There are tough decisions all the way through. This isn't, this isn't League One, this isn't the Championship, this isn't League Two, where you know that over the course of the season you're going to do all right, you're going, to go up, you're going to be in the playoffs or go up. This is about survival and thriving and becoming part of you know, the, the 20 best clubs arguably in the world. And to do that, the DOFs need to ramp up not say ramp up their game. I'm not saying you know, they, but they they they've got the ability now to to shop in a in a completely different store. You know, they don't need to be buying. You know, they they're not buying Volkswagens anymore. They can be buying Porsches. You know, it, it's that level. There was nothing wrong with the car they had, but we're we're shopping at a different level. The performance levels we need now are completely different. So if Tariq Fosu, I'm not picking on him. I'm not saying he's the one. He's done nothing wrong in my mind. But or using him in his example in this in this instance, if they've decided that they can do better than than him, then then they've got my support to do that. And I wish anyone well, but I'm, I'm sure that they'll manage the situation right as well. And Halil Devasoglu, you know, I, I'd be personally very disappointed to see him go because I think he looks a classy player and I'd like to see more of him. But again, he, he may have to move on to, to get his opportunity. We can't keep everyone. Laney, I've got to ask a question. I mean, Tariq Fosu, and again, I'm just giving roughly, roughly how much do you think, I mean, we bought him for about 750 grand. How much do you think he's worth at this moment in time? Um, as a, well, as a, as a, as a club that is trying to, would, would be trying to um, get him off the, the payroll. Well, okay. Let's just, not, how much just, just say, okay, well, so, um, between three and four million pounds, I, I'd okay, say. Of course. So, so call it four million pounds. And again, I love Fesu. If he's great, I met him outside Wimbledon. He's really good. But we're trying to we're doing a podcast here, and we're just trying to go into the heads of the directors of football. At the moment, you know, from what I can gather, Brendan Johnson's about ten million pounds. Okay, so you've got to kind of, you know, so either they value him at ten, 10 million pounds. We're not going to pay if he's not worth ten million pounds. We ain't going to pay it. But if he is, we will do. So if he's ten million pounds, they believe that there's something there worth ten million pounds. So that's kind of. 
I think that's the kind of scales that we're working on at the moment now. You know, you know, probably the same thing with Halil Devesoglu, even though maybe Halil's probably worth more because the Turkish will probably pay more than three or four million pounds for, for Halil at the moment now. He might be worth six million. You know what I'm saying? So again, it's that, it's that weighing up scenario. So I think that's kind of like where we are and where we're looking at. So that's going to be very interesting next few days. For me, I reckon, I just, I've just got... Because that Brennan Johnson was was there from the very very early days, and he's still hanging around like a, like a, I say like a bad smell at this at this time. Like I was saying um, at the very end of the window, and you know the director of football always says, just forget about the rest of the window. Things always happen at the end of the window. It wouldn't surprise me, honestly, seeing him coming in. Can I, can and, I just uh, can I just caveat that really really quickly? Sorry to interrupt. I'm being that my valuation was really realistic. I don't see Forrest's 10 million as realistic. Tarek Fosu has achieved more in 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 the game than 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 Brennan Johnson so far. And you, you know, putting a 10 million pound on on some sort of potential. Ivan Tony was that, and it, it, he'd achieved loads. I, I think they're way north of the, his true value, and Tariq in that case is well south of his true value. You know, if if you're suggesting, I think it's a really intelligent suggestion, Bill. I think you know, if it's a kind of a swap deal to be done, then you know, it's it's, it's good. But I, I I think you know, Tariq plus three or four would probably be nearer nearer if uh, if we want to do business. Well, I'm not sure we do. They, again, again, maybe you're right there, Laney. And the thing about it is also you have to remember outside of the Premier League, there is no money. Coronavirus and everything has just killed it big time. So, you know, if Turret Fossil was going to go for three or four million, if he was to, you know, they'll be doing another Premier League club. And if he's not making it at Brentford, will he go to another Premier League club? Maybe not. So if he's going down into the division that he actually really performed well in, those clubs won't be able to pay for him. So is he going to be going on loan? Is he going to be going on a swap deal? Are swap deals easy to deal? Are they not? Will he go on loan to the end of the season? There's so many things that are kind of going on out there at the moment now. So anyway, listen, I think it's a bit of a watch this space on that. But I think we're going to definitely see some movement because we all know now after that Forest Green game in particular that we do need to bring some players in. But talking about players in... We like to play in JB because every time we play JB in, he comes with some facts and some funk. So this time, JB... Classy. That's a brilliant link, Bill. Brilliant link. You like that, do you? You like that one, do you? I didn't even practice it. I I just dropped that one on the nose. So anyway, but listen, JB, he's got a league cap. League cap. There he goes. I've messed it all up now. He's got a league cap. Facts and funk session for us here now. Sock it to you, JB. Hello, Jonathan Birchall here again. Our first ever League Cup tie as a top-tier side was not going as expected at half-time, but what we should have expected was there be a goal for Marcus Force. He's now scored in this competition for four successive seasons, equaling the record set by Robert Taylor in the 1990s. Back to the league, and assuming we're unchanged when we face Villa, our starting 11 will have an average age of 24. That's a far cry from our last top flight meeting with them in 1947, when our average age then was 31. In no small part, one of the factors behind our relegation that season. Last Saturday, we kept another clean sheet in the Premier League, making it 2 out of 2. In our entire history, in all the prime leagues we played in from 1889, it was only the ninth time we've managed to keep out the opposition in our opening two games of a season. The last time we achieved such a good start was 15 years ago. 
So that was JB with his facts and his funk all going very league cup shaped, as they say. And like I say, we've got Aston Villa. We haven't been there for a few years. We're going up to Villa Park. Quite like going up to Villa Park, actually. A nice little trip, nice little journey. So I'm going up there with the chums. And, uh, well, what's gone on at Villa since the last time we played them a couple of years ago? I think we need to go and speak to a Villa fan. We're going to talk to Dan from the Claret and Blue podcast. He's going to give us the exact lowdown of what's been going down at Villa since the last time we were there. Hello, I'm Dan Ronitson from the Claret and Blue podcast, run by Reach PLC and Birmingham Live. Uh, we've been running the podcast for almost two years now, covering every single Villa game, transfer and talking point. That first season back in the Premier League was pretty rough at times. We started off by taking the lead away at Spurs on the opening day, but still losing. Shot ourselves in the foot at home against Bournemouth on the first home game for us with a, an early penalty for them. Um, we beat Everton in one of the best atmospheres I've ever seen. And whilst that's only three points from the first nine, it felt like a pretty encouraging start. You drop points against teams you expect to beat on paper and then pick up these unexpected points when you think you've got no chance. It was all a, a bit of a roller coaster. And, and when you scan through the former guide from that year, there's a, there's a lot of red in there. I was pretty much resigned to relegation come 9th of July after Man United beat us again. But eight points from 12 in the final four games saw us stay up on the final day. And really, that's all that first season is about stay up then look at what progress you can make after that the second season was was a different beast obviously you're playing every game behind closed doors due to the the covid restrictions which saw us miss out on some big results and some big games beating the champions van dyke and all 7-2 the standout game there was a double over arsenal that season and then we beat spurs and chelsea but you still lose some of those games that you expect to win and when you only finish 12 points away from fourth place that really stings we got caught with a covid outbreak in january and that just set us up for a disappointing end to that season adding a 12 game injury for that Manchester City player and the wheels really fell off. All in all though, finishing 11th with 55 points after surviving on the final day this season before is a pretty positive season. What I'll be really telling is if Villa can push on again this season. Fans wanted him out in the first year back in the Premier League as well. You wouldn't even need to go that far to find fans who want him out now. Um, that's not my opinion at all. I'm fully behind Smith and what he's trying to build with Villa. But everyone's entitled to their opinion. And with the money invested, if results aren't going well by, by Christmas, say, fans could start to turn. But we're only two games in and I'm excited to see what kind of side Smith can put together. In regards to Richard O'Kelly leaving, apparently it was always the plan that he'd depart this summer, but he held off on actually leaving as Smith was isolating with a family COVID case, a missed pre-season, and John Terry also left to pursue a managerial challenge, so O'Kelly stuck on to kind of see that transition through. It seems a bit of a shock, but with Craig Shakespeare and Neil Cutler already there, it was a big coaching team anyway. We've since brought in Austin McPhee, a set-piece specialist, and rumours suggest that we'll hire another coach, maybe in this upcoming international break. Let's just hope it's not a case of too many cooks in the kitchen, or too many coaches on the sideline, we should say. This summer window has probably been about as good as we could have expected, I think. Let's get the elephant out of the room with Grealish's departure. The club knew it was coming. There was a 100 million release clause waiting to be triggered. So they'd prepared for life with and without Jack Grealish. 
Emmy Buendia, Leon Bailey and Danny Ings really bolster our squad depth and offer us various avenues of creativity rather than solely relying on just Jack Grealish, which we're far too comfortable in doing. Past the Grealish, hopefully he does something special, rinse and repeat. And teams were pretty confident if you stop Jack Grealish, you stop Aston Villa. We've also added Ashley Young and Axel Twanzaby as an experienced head and a developing backup respectively. Ashley Young looks fitter now than he did when he left us for Man United in 2010. Not many outgoings yet besides a few academy players heading out on loan. We've got seven midfielders, I think, so we're a bit bloated there, but fans still want another. There's cause for a big, strong defensive midfielder, but I'd imagine one of those fringe midfielders will need to move on before Villa do any further business. Ollie Watkins is brilliant, I absolutely love him, but still yet to see him in the flesh with him injured at the moment. A classic centre-forward there, and I just love his energy. The way he presses from the front is, is pretty pivotal to the way that Smith wants to play, so without him at the start of this season, you do notice that he's not there when he doesn't play, and that's not just his goal contributions, it's just the way he presses from the front. He scored 14 last year, but hit the post seven times with at least three dodgy VAR calls ruling against him, just off the top of my head. I know football doesn't strictly work like that, but that's a potential 24-goal season there instead of 14. It'll be quite intriguing to see how he partners up with Danny Ings, whether they both play together. But if they both play, both stay fit and Villa find a rhythm, that's a dangerous pairing. So far, it's been pretty slow, I think people would say. A 3-2 defeat to Watford on the opening day and then a 2-0 win over Newcastle on Saturday. first 45 minutes against Watford was some of the poorest football I've seen and the Newcastle game wasn't exactly brilliant. But you can only beat what's in front of you. We did that, and you move on to Brentford. You take every 90 minutes, one game at a time. Smith always says, don't get too high with the wins, don't get too low with the lows, and and keep moving forward. Well, we're still gelling, so it's pretty hard to say what Villa are going to be at the moment. We've had a disjointed pre-season, so some of our potential first choices are struggling for fitness. But Danny Ings has two and two, so he's the danger man that you're going to be looking out for. Watkins could potentially be back, but we'll know more when Dean Smith speaks to the press on Friday. Emi Brendier is still finding fitness out on the right wing. John McGinn looks back to his best, and we're yet to see Leon Bailey start a game yet. He played 20 minutes against Watford and got an assist and looked pretty lively, so if he's fit, I'd imagine he comes straight in as well. If Villa can find a way to play Bailey, Ings, Watkins and Brendier all together as a front four with a solid midfield, keep the clean sheets that they kept last year, Villa could be in for a pretty good season, but we all know it's not as simple as that. So with all that said and out of the way, I'm going to come on your podcast and go with a Villa win, obviously. So I'm going to say 2-1 to Villa, Danny Ings to bag for the third game in a row and Emmy Buendia to get off the mark as well. Quite like Brentford. I think they'll get a few admirers this season with their spirit and how they play. But I'm hoping we'll have just a little bit too much for you on Saturday. So, Billy, thanks for having me on. I do appreciate it. We look forward to hearing your thoughts on the Claret and Blue podcast later. And may the best team win. So... There you go, Aston Villa. Um, after hearing that, Laney, bit, bit, bit nervous, are you? Mm, yeah, they're they're a good team, our Villa. You know, we we know a lot about them. Um, so it's a it's a we've done all right in our trips to Villa Park. Um, so I don't go there with with like fear. It's not like we go to some of these ga- you know grounds where we we always seem to lose. We almost we always seem to do all right there. They're a different beast to the one that went up. Dean Smith and and he's done a cracking job. Uh, this uh, it's a far better squad. Even 
you know, I thought that was a bit salty of him calling the player that went to Man City. I think Grealish is is, is giving his all to that club. He's been there since a kid. He've, his great granddad played for the club. The Grealish family have uh, deserve a little bit more manners than that. I'd, I'd, I'd say, um, uh, and that's someone who's published his books on on Aston Villa. I know I know a lot about their history. Um, so um, yeah, I, I, I am fearful is the wrong word. I, I go there thinking we probably are very much the underdogs on on Saturday um but you know we know about Dean Smith and the way he sets his teams up we can go toe to toe with them we can have a really good game and 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 once again if they're not at their very best and we are we we're, we're going to turn them over Simon I I think we can get a result I'm a bit more optimistic I think Villa play a, a way that that kind of suits us. It'll be less of a battle than the, the Palace game, although every game in the Premier League is a, a bit of a battle. But also one of the things which has been really helpful in playing both Palace and Villa is they've had a large turnover of players and it takes a while for these players to gel. So if you're going to get these teams, it's better to get them at the beginning of the season rather than kind of a settled squad you're taking on. So they've you know, got, got rid of Grealish and I agree with, with Dave that they probably should pay him a bit more respect for what he achieved for that club. Not at least a £100 million cheque. Um, which is coming through the front door. And that's allowed them to buy a whole bunch of players. And they're obviously quality players who they've bought. Ings showed that with an overhead kick to mark his arrival. But, you know, in terms of that that kind of joined up, linked up play, they might not be on the exactly the same wavelength necessarily every single time. So I, I think we can go there. I think we can get a result. I think a point would be a great result. Uh, I think we'd all be happy with that. So uh, so I'd be, I'd be setting out with a similar team that we saw at Palace and, um, and seeing if we can't grab a goal and then and then essentially defend for our lives like we did against Palace. And no, 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 Jack, no, Jack Grealish. Also, no more John Terry, and no more John Terry is no more John Terry's mum. Anyway, she'll move on oh, from oh, this. Okay. Anyway, oh, so right. she'll move on from that. But so look, and we're going to move on by talking. And I know this is a terrible link after you've just actually brought in John Terry's, uh, you know, his mother. But we got Will, the spreadsheet winker, who is actually going to give us the statistical lowdown on Aston Villa. Let's have a look forward to the Villa game now. Firstly, they created more than double what Newcastle did in their 2-0 win last weekend and created more than Watford on the opening day in an unlucky 3-2 loss. But they have benefited from late penalties in both those games, adding 0.8 xG to both of their totals. Secondly, they press about the same amount as we do, very, very high. So our centre-backs will need to be sharp and careful not to make late mistakes leading to penalties when they're more tired, as has happened in the previous two games for Villa. Third, they play in a 4-3-3 with Ings in the middle, who's very dangerous, and Buendia on the right wing, and we know he's an excellent player. I'd expect Buendia to be a large attacking and crossing outlet, but he's only had one cross against Watford and three against Newcastle. Rico will have a job keeping him in his pocket so that he can't cut in and shoot. He's only created 0.02 xG this season, however, from only one shot, so he's been stopped so far. Doing that again will be key to getting something out of the game this weekend. Four, it's the first time we've come up against a team who's created more than one xG per match in both games so far. Palace haven't even scored yet this season. It's a much tougher test of our defence than either Arsenal or Palace, but if we keep it tight to the back again, we can definitely get something out of the game. So there you go, Will. And tell you what, that's quite interesting because, you know, they've done all right, Villa. They did all right last season. Uh, this season, OK, of course, they're, they're missing Ollie Watkins. They're missing a few players. They beat Newcastle comfortably in XG, as he said. You know, um, 
but, uh, but they're, a, they're it's an interesting match because they're a high pressing team, and we're going to be. You know, I mean, Forest Green pressed us to death in the first half, but this is a different scenario. So we're going to be having two teams kind of trying to outpress each other on Saturday as well. So we need to be totally on the ball. So it's going to be interesting to see what Frank the Tank Onyeka is and Yanelt and them lot are going to be able to do in that midfield as well. But also, the interesting thing, like I said to you, they got a couple of penalties in the last couple of games, but haven't created loads of big chances. Okay, so yes, they've won the matches, but they haven't created loads of big chances. So this may be, again, the opportunity for us. If we create the our chances and put them into the back of the net, it may be a bit of a, as Simon says, a bit of a sort of surprise result there. So that kind of made me feel a little bit better, uh, a little bit better after listening to, 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 to what, what Will has said. I mean, you've got to remember... I mean, they've got some good players, you know, Bendia, you know, who we knew from West Brom. You know, they've got Danny Ings, which they nicked from the South Coast, was it? You know, and also they brought back Ashley Young as well, who's obviously not very young anymore, but he's still uh, very experienced. Uh, um, and we'll see whether or not Ollie Watkins is going to play. The, the, the word on the street is that he, he's injured and they're not sure he's going to come back, but you never know. He might make a, a surprise appearance. So like I said to you, they are no mugs, are they? No, I mean, looking through their team, you know, Esri Concer, we know how classy he is. Matt Cash did a brilliant job at Nottingham Forest, you know, he's, he's a great fullback. Tyrone Mings, <laughs> England's John McGinn, I, I think he's an, an incredible talent. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like him. He, he's, he's kind of like a player that every, every team wants in their team, full of energy. Um, Jacob Ramsey, Buendia, as you say, and what? We'll, El Ghazi, Danny Ings, and they've got like they've got a really good bench as well. Connor Honryhan, um, you know, although he's a bit of a cheat. Um, cheat. He's a cheat. Yeah, he is cheat. Um, not so, Swansea anymore, so he doesn't cheat. Oh, much. okay. Oh, no, it's not. Okay, he's been cleansed, has he? Yeah, yes. uh, yeah. I, I, it's it's a it's a team that is full of attacking promise, and it, it's a mouth watering game. Uh, and I, I literally, I'm really looking forward to the day out. So, so look, I'm just going to just quickly go through Aston Villa's, their strengths. They're good at creating scoring chances, or finishing scoring chances, actually. They're, uh, they're good at coming back from losing positions. They're good at protecting the lead. And they're good at defending set pieces. So we can see, you know, where we've got our work cut out here. Like, you know, you know, we need to basically, you know, we need to be as strong defensively as we have been in the first two games. And if you listen to, to Rasmus Ankerson, what he said in the post match podcast after the uh, after the Crystal Palace match again and he said you know the one thing that we are we're very strong at defense we're very hard to break down so we need to make sure that it's the same at Palace as well coming back from losing positions so like I said we can't <laughs> they can't get a goal you know protecting the lead they're good at that and the set pieces as well so you know we've been set pieces has been one of our mainstays for the Arsenal game so all of a sudden if they're well obviously they probably couldn't be much worse than Arsenal were in that game at defending set pieces so uh but we need to we need to be on our ball on that one so uh but the weaknesses avoiding offside and and defending counter-attacks so they're not great at counter-attacks so this is where our uh, play will come in especially the way that we play in it Simon yeah, you'd, you'd expect that we, when we're trying to avoid the press, we've been quite happy this year to go long to Ivan to to kind of um, get get uh, turned around. And you can see him sort of laying the ball off to Brian and running at the defence probably on the break. And that's the sort of place where you'd be hoping to maybe get Nick a goal. And then with three all-action midfielders and that back three, you'd think maybe we, we would be really hard to break down, harder to break down, the, frankly, than the teams they've played so far. So it'll be all about, you know, doing a stuff, to, you know, stern test, 
trying to hit them on the break, using the strength of Ivan and the pace of Ryan and seeing if we can't nick a goal and open this game up. So I'm, I'm just going to point out, they've got Matty Cash, who's a great player. I mean, he's a player in the player at the team of the season for the for the championship. Uh, was it last season, was it? Or was it the season before? But very season before last. Very, very good player. But on the other side, they've got is it Matty, Matty Target as well, who I've got a feeling that's where uh, Bumo is going to be uh, targeting Matty Target because I don't think he's had a particularly great season so far. So that might be the weak link if he plays on Saturday. Keep our fingers crossed. But listen, I'm just going to quickly go around and just going to get a score prediction from you guys. Simon. I think it'll be 1-1. The Laney. My head says we're going to taste defeat for the first time this season. My heart says 2-1 Brentford win. Oh, and I'm, so I'm going, going to go, say... I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to go 2-1 Brentford win. OK, 2-1 Brentford win. And for me, this is the, I think this is going to be the toughest game that we've had so far, but I'm still going to go for a 1-0 Nick Brentford wing the, because of the Matty Target thing and the, uh, and, 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 and hitting on the break thing has kind of got me a bit excited after all that. And listen wow. to Will the Winker, you know, so there another, you go. Another clean sheet, you reckon? Blimey. Yeah, that's right, mate. Yes, I'm going for that, mate. I'm going for the clean sheet. So this is all good. Listen, brilliant. Absolute. Tell you something. I needed that because we've had oh we've had all sorts of vegan stuff and everything like that yesterday with the forest green, which is great for them to come down. It's been brilliant, you know. Even though you know they did get a little bit of abuse when they they, they got the red card, you know, which is which is fine, you know. Red cards do happen every now and again. But like I said to you, great to have you in the studio with me at the virtual joint. My name is Billy Grant, and I'll be sitting here with Lady Lane. Good evening, and Simon Radford. Nice to see you. And my name's Billy Grant here, and I said to you, we are going to Aston Villa. Really looking forward to it. We're going to have a drink, you know, the place from there. We've got to meet the Villa friends. We're going to be going out. Really excited. We're going to see the bees. We're going to another away game, as we say. Come on, you, you bees. Can you bees? We're going to Villa. You bees. Away day. On the train. Can't wait. Choo choo. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.